Welcome to Tarot for the Wild Soul, a weekly tarot podcast about life, death, and rebirth. I'm your host, Lindsay Mack. Thank you so much for being with me today. Um, Happy new moon in Pisces. Um, I'm feeling it. So, (laughs) um, you know, it's to say the least. And um, we're currently in Mercury retrograde in Pisces as well. So there's a lot of depth happening, a lot of... um, power. It's very interesting because we're in a hangman year if you're going by traditional uh, Gregorian calendar year. And um, that is also connected to Pisces, uh, given that it has a ruling with uh, Neptune. Hangman is ruled by Neptune. So there's a lot of very interesting Piscean energy being being kind of interwoven through the medicine of the year already. But yeah, it is pretty powerful (laughs) to be in this energy right now. And uh, just bowing to everyone experiencing it and hoping you feel nourished and supported through these very big waves. This week on the podcast is an Ask Lindsay, and that is a time when you send me your questions about tarot, magic, ritual, intuition, and beyond, and I try my best to answer you. Um, just a really quick announcement before I get to the questions and it really is so quick, um, that enrollment is still open for my eight week tarot course, Tarot for the Wild Soul. There's only just a little bit of time left. Um, I think like just a week and a half left, a little under a week and a half to sign up. Uh, if you're interested, um, it's such a beautiful experience. There's such rich community. Um, it's just a beautiful time. Um, the course is lovely. The people are lovely. Our bonus contributors are lit. It is, um, just really a beautiful journey and experience. And if you're feeling called to take your tarot practice to the next level and really connect with like-minded community, or if you're completely new to tarot and you really want something different, out of your education, I recommend uh, my course. I think it's pretty good. So if you're interested, you can go to terrorforthewildsoul.com. Again, only a little under a week and a half left. So if you're hearing the call, we have payment plans and all different kinds of ways for you to be involved with us. Um, And again, you can find out more about that by going going to terrorforthewildsoul.com. Now that I have shared that, let's get to your questions. So Anna asks, my question is regarding the suit of cups. I've been pulling cards for your February tarot challenge, which has been very insightful, by the way. Thank you, Anna. As well as a few other spreads for myself in the coming year. And there was a significant abundance of the cup suit coming up for me. The symbolism of water feels quite powerful. In addition to that, I've had reoccurring magical dreams with water in the past year. I'd love it if you could provide some thoughts on this symbolism within the tarot and how it possibly could be read. So, Anna, the cup suit rules... um, intuition. It rules the emotional realm and it rules kind of everything that's related to water. You know, our feelings, our emotions, our intuition, our connection to kind of the deep epic parts of ourselves. Um, So much of our body is made up of water. We can absolutely consider our blood, our vascular system, you know, part of that connection. That's sort of the running river system of the body. Whenever we get cups in a reading, an abundance of them and kind of our 
being gifted with magical water dreams as you are, um, it usually means that we're getting visitations of some kind, invitations from the parts of ourselves that are connected to those realms, to the invisible, the unseen, the ephemeral, the emotional, the intuitive, the magical, you know, all of those things kind of exist within and are held by, kept by the water realm. Um, my instinct is to invite you to consider whether you're being given messages, whether you're being asked to perhaps visit some bodies of water that you've always wanted to or connect more deeply with water, whether or not it takes you to oceans, you know, in lands beyond or just your bathtub, whether or not it takes you to a space of feeling your deep emotions or connecting more fully with your feelings. You know, there's all kinds of invitations. And I also want to say that, um, there are certain cups cards that you could have been pulling. You didn't list that could make it a little bit more telling. So I would say like, kind of go back to the cups cards that you've been pulling and maybe look at them all in a row and really see kind of like, Oh, you know, wow, that's interesting. And, um, how I'm seeing the visuals of this, how I'm seeing the connections of this, you know, just all kinds of different ways to look at it. Um, the other thing about the cup suit that I do feel inclined to say is that we want to just kind of invite ourselves out of the paradigm of looking at this suit as being one about love and romance and romantic relationships. There's a really good reason for that. The first is, <clears throat> excuse me, not everybody dates and not everyone's interested in romance and not every, not, that is not a factor in a lot of people's lives. And kind of a rule of thumb with the tarot is that if it doesn't work for everybody, then it kind of doesn't work because it really needs to be universal truth. And to uh, while love is absolutely an exchange that can be inclusive, uh, it can be made, uh, it can be included in the realm of the cup suit. It just isn't specific to the cups. Um, it can be, but it also cannot be. Relationships can show up in any card, in any suit, in any set. Um, and we've sort of been robbed uh, because of the association with all this like love and relational stuff. We've sort of been robbed of the power that can come when we reconnect it back to these, you know, deep water systems within ourselves and these little invitations from the waters of our beings and kind of the waters of our emotions and um, all different kinds of things. So I would say those are the places that I would direct you to look. But I would also say trust your own compass and really see, you know, maybe you are being guided in a really different direction than anything I mentioned. Um, when we get visited by any card, any suit, it's we know that we're in a mastery of some kind. When there's attention, when someone shows up at our door again and again and again, we're being invited to learn from that. So I invite you to consider, you know, what could I be invited to know or understand what maybe what am I being asked to learn from this situation and from the cup suit that maybe I didn't even know before? Maybe I'm being kind of transmitted something that I don't need any teacher to tell me about. So um, I love that you asked the question, but I'm also uh, going to totally uh, refer you back to your own knowing. <laughs> um, and if you want to go deeper with the suits, you know, and if you haven't worked with my course before, it's a nice place to try. And um, you also kind of don't need it. You know, you can do your own kind of digging and field research too. So hopefully that helps. 
Haley asks, how do you differ five of wands and seven of wands? I have a hard time differentiating them. They both seem to have a competitive quality to them, but I can't seem to get a deeper meaning. Any insights on this? Any insight on how to differentiate cards in general general would also be helpful. So let me answer your last card first. Differentiating cards in general is something that comes with time, practice, and a commitment to mastery. Um, which is not to say like, I'm a master. I, you know, it's mastery is an ongoing experience. Um, we want to be growing alongside these cards. So differentiating cards in general just comes with time and practice. Um, really, truly, like I, I wish that there was a shortcut that I can tell you, but there really isn't. You just kind of have to develop greater intimacy. Um, the more we use our decks and we practice and we're playing and we're looking and we're touching them and, um, building these dialogues and these experiences with them, the more we develop an understanding and a knowledge of like what they are, what each individual note on the piano is because we're, um, we have more experience with them. So I would say like, if you want to learn how to differentiate cards, that's a wonderful benefit of just practice over time. Um, committed practice, you know, cause some people, you know, they read for themselves kind of casually on and off for 10 years and they really don't know how to differentiate because there isn't a committed form of study. And by the way, Haley, there doesn't have to be committed study, but because you asked the question, um, cause there's a desire in your heart to differentiate cards. That's what I would say. Um, now the difference between five of wands and seven of wands is vast. So fives our contractions typically and bring us into some kind of experience of light to moderate discomfort, usually egoically, that really has to do with us uh, being invited to choose grace in a difficult situation. It's kind of working with the toughest form of the suit. And the seven is usually a situation, any seven, where we may be inclined to try to externalize something that's actually an internal uh, invitation or an internal issue. For example, like feeling like, oh, I'll just feel, I will feel better when I have this answered, when I have, when they call me, um, you'll almost always get a seven for that because it's like, you know, they're going to invite you to feel better, to take care of yourself before you get that phone call, before they call you, whatever. Um, so the difference between these two cards specifically, five of wands is kind of a combustion card and it has to do with like a volcano erupting. It's, you know, it's intensity. And a lot of the time it's like the chaos of creativity. You know, if you're writing something or creating something, it's kind of like messy and explosive and there's like stuff all over the place and we might feel really like tense and hot and frustrated. It's kind of like the art of making art is often very, um, where we, we can get really hot, we can get contracted, we can get short tempered, you know? Um, but what is actually going on in five of wands is that we're kind of laying new ground. We're kind of working something out. We're teasing something out. And, you know, if you look in the Smith Rider way, a card, which obviously is not the end all be all, but given that it's sort of the backbone, we see kind of all these five men kind of like banging their sticks together. Um, and there's an element when you look at that card, you could, you could maybe interpret it like they're fighting, but it kind of looks like they're like working something out together. And that's kind of the energy of five of wands is like, we're usually really hot. We might be really frustrated. We might be experiencing some internal, heat, some internal frustration or some messiness or like, um, we have all kinds of big feelings and we, 
kind of don't really know what to do with them. Five of Wands advises us, at least in my book, um, to say, not my literal book, just my opinion, to say, um, just do your best to be cool about the heat. Do your best to understand that it's passing. It will pass. The more easy and graceful you can be during this time of intensity and um, shaking up, the better. Just really letting the temperature rise and being okay with that. Like when volcanoes blow, it's to create new foundation. So that's really what's happening with this card. And five of wands, I have a little bit of a different interpretation of that. So there's two ways to, to there's two ways, two equally beautiful ways to interpret uh, seven of wands. And one of them is kind of like claiming the ground beneath your feet. It's like, I'm here. I'm not moving. This is my space and I'm going to be here and I'm going to defend this. And that's one way of looking at it. Another way that I prefer to look at seven of wands because it feels more truthful to me and my experience is actually about hypervigilance. And sometimes when we get seven of wands, this card has to do with us trying to hypervigilantly uh, hold on to something that we may want to loosen our grip around. So it has to do with us really checking in, like, are we gripping or are we just honoring boundaries? Are we terrified that someone's going to come and like kind of take over what's ours? Or are we going to kind of rest and settle in what is present? And one really big clue um, about the latter way of interpreting it is in the Smith Rider way, the guy in the card has two different shoes on. So what this communicates to us is that he's kind of a mess and that he ran out the door and didn't even put the same shoes on. So um, it's kind of a little subtle point that really expands out into a much larger picture of like, what is our self-care like now that we're doing nothing but defending this hill? And how can we come to a place where we have more flexibility and looseness around this hill? Like, how can we find that middle ground? Um, I think seven of wands is pretty uncomfortable um, because it is a questioning. It's an internal looking. It's kind of shining the light inside. So that's really the difference between the two. You know, um, five of wands is kind of like a, a creative expansive, messy time of kind of messiness where we get messy before things get clean. It's kind of like cleaning out a closet and there's just like shit everywhere. Like that's kind of five of wands energy. Um, but usually it's for a, a reordering. Like I would say condoing is actually a great metaphor for five of wands and, uh, seven of wands really has to do with differentiation. And again, like not to like hawk my own course, but if you want to go deeper into that, um, like that's a great way to do it. But again, you don't need it. I promise I will not be promoting my course with all of these questions, but those two are really nice ways. Um, the course can help, you know? Um, so I hope that helps you, Haley. Anonymous asks, what resources and practices can you recommend to someone just starting to use tarot cards? For context, I've recently left the Christian tradition I grew up in and find myself feeling lost, hurt, tired, all the things. I'm curious and looking for help and a path to better trust and hear my intuition, but I'm not sure where to start. So I am going to say anonymous. Um, my course would be great. And now that that's out of the way, <laughs> um, you do not have to do anything. So first of all, congratulations um, on kind of coming back home to yourself and also 
my heart is really with you through the pain that you're experiencing. Um, so there are a couple of different options. The reason that I kind of jokingly, not jokingly mention my course again is it actually has nothing to do with my course, but I do recommend you finding a community. And that is one benefit of joining a tarot course. But you don't need to join a tarot course for that. There's communities on Facebook, on Mighty Networks, on Instagram. Really just starting to connect with other people who have been on this path, who are on this path, who are of like mind with you, who can see you and love you and honor you and who you can kind of practice with and play with and who can hold space for your pain if you're going through this experience um, and the contractions that will inevitably arise. The first thing that I would advise you to do is find community. And tarot communities are usually very welcoming. Um, and that's, I swear to God, I will not be talking about my course with every question. That's not what this is about. Um, but that's kind of why, again, like I half jokingly was like my course, because that is a space where there is rich community. However, there's rich community available to you probably that's free. Um, I'm not sure of where to specifically direct you, but I think there are so many opportunities for you to just kind of search and see and join a bunch of groups on Facebook and see what feels good to you. Now, um, you also may want to find local community where you are connected with folks who live where you live and you can find that through courses, through Facebook groups, et cetera. But it might be really nice for you to have um, contact and really feel like you're connected with a group that is um, holding space for you in person. And the third way is if you are not particularly community minded and if that does not feel nourishing to you, then one thing that I would say is Build a refuge and a temple and a sacred container with your relationship with your deck. You can build the most beautiful, intimate, welcoming, delicious container and relationship with your deck when working with the deck that's right for you. And what I would say is like, literally buy all the books you can afford or um, borrow them, go to the library and just read and start to see, you know, what works for me, what doesn't work for me. Um, but I do feel like, uh, course or not, that doesn't really matter. Um, again, sort of a joke, but um, I would actually really recommend that you consider finding community because especially for what you're going through, like that's something that I've held space for before um, in any community that I've uh, been a moderator of in my own work and in my own teachings. And I can't tell you how important it is for those people to have others who can see them through the painful experience of moving through kind of leaving their faith or their church that didn't resonate for them and kind of coming home to their gifts and having tarot be a part of their practice. So my heart is with you. Um, I'm really like sending you all the love through this. And I would say uh, community is my greatest uh, piece of advice to you. 
Sophia asks, I was gifted a tarot deck a couple of years ago from a friend that I was very close with at the time. We've since fallen out and there is naturally still some heartbreak there around the loss of the friendship. I haven't used the deck since and feel unsure how to relate to it again in my own way without associating it with the person who gave it to me. Should I give it away? Cleanse it somehow? Interestingly, I never had a profound experience with the deck originally, but appreciated the deck's creator and the fact that it was a gift. I still feel thought... I still feel guilt around the thought of getting rid of it. Sophia, I would say like you could probably just like live with that deck, maybe like tucked in a special box. Um, I don't think you have to give it away, but I also don't think you have to use it. And I don't think you have to cleanse it. I would say that you probably need the medicine of time, just some time away. Um, and it could also just be that the deck kind of like this friendship maybe um, needed to leave your life and maybe it is an important part of the kind of releasing process. Um, I would say check in about the guilt. While I certainly don't doubt that you feel that and those feelings are so worthy, um, there is absolutely nothing to feel guilty about in terms of honoring your own releasing process with regard to things that your friends have given you that don't, um, resonate with you anymore. Um, I, uh, have gone through absolutely what you've gone through and, uh, sometimes go through it with my mom who has given me things that I don't really want to hold on to because we do not have a relationship, but it causes me immense grief, uh, to give away things. And I've learned, through experience that I have to do it on my time. So like for years, I would hold on to like certain items and not give them away until I absolutely knew I was kind of ready. And there was always a grieving process. There's never not been a grieving process with letting go, giving away, recycling something that my mom has given me or letters or whatever. Um, and I also completely respect myself in knowing like there are some things that belong tucked in a box in my storage unit or in my letterbox that will be looked at when it's time, you know? So I think like honoring your own heart in this is really important, but I don't think you have to do anything with it. I also, the one thing that I will say that I hope will liberate you, you just don't have to use it. You don't have to force yourself to use it. You can just hang on to it until it feels right to give it to someone. And, um, I, I think probably there will be an expression of grief that you'll go through upon giving this deck away. And I think that's really healthy when, and if you ever choose to do that, but I don't think you have to do anything to it or cleanse it or try to use it. I think it might just be time to get a new deck. And then you do with the old deck, what feels right when it feels right to. Hopefully that makes sense. Thanks for asking that. Amy asks, I love in your latest introduction post that you referenced your 10 year long relationship with your husband and how much courage it's taken you. Can you share some insight on how you overcame the fear of receiving love? Um, thanks for asking that, Amy. Sure. Um, so uh, for those who don't know, I've been in a 10 year relationship with my husband, married for five. And um, I shared uh, and have shared before that um, one of the most courageous acts of my life has been not destroying that relationship <laughs> and like accepting and receiving my husband's really steadfast love. Um, so 
when I talk about receiving, I'm not fucking around. It's really hard. It's very confronting. It's very uncomfortable. Um, and basically I had to just hang out in extreme discomfort for about three years. Um, I know that sounds crazy, but it, it's true that I really just had to hang out in periods of completely extreme discomfort with my brain literally screaming at me to leave him for about three years. Um, I don't know at 25 what possessed me to, to understand that it wasn't the truth that my brain screaming at me to leave him was um, a lie. Um, there was, it was really just like trusting my gut and staying. Um, and it's been a process over time, but the best thing and the biggest, uh, piece of it, um, that I would kind of offer maybe as advice for anyone listening to this, uh, is like, don't be afraid one of the best things that, um, happened for me, I don't know if this works for anyone else, but I had to be able to verbalize all of that to my husband. So when he was my boyfriend, even I would communicate to him, Hey, I just want to let you know, I'm moving through a lot of intensity right now. And a lot of inner narratives that are kind of like screaming at me to leave you. And I really want you to know if you sense me kind of pulling back or within myself or afraid or whatever, that that's why. And I also want you to know I love you. And uh, I'm kind of verbalize this so that I don't kind of get swallowed up in the internalization of it. And God bless him. And this is part of why we're together. He totally got it. He, I don't know. I don't, he's never spoken to me about ever feeling threatened or upset or insecure because I was always very honest about like, yeah, I'm going through this. Um, and I still do that. You know, my brain, my marriage is the most kind of healthy centered thing really in my life other than my connection with God. And, um, I, my brain uses my marriage all the time. Every time I'm about ready to expand, it tries to kind of like, um, invite me into like fears or thoughts that our marriage is ending. And really the best thing that I can offer is like, just to hang out with it and to be with it until, you see if it leaves. <laughs> um, and so far after waiting a few days, like the waves would ebb and, you know, I, I would be able to hang out in it a little bit more. And then there's a natural deepening that happens when we don't run away. But here's the thing. I think that I'm bringing light to something that a lot of people go through, but they don't realize is actually just the brain inviting them out of something that's really good for them. So sometimes, of course, we get instincts to leave people and they're not the right people for us. But a lot of the time, the brain will invite us into patterns of cheating, patterns of fantasy, patterns of like distance and coldness and fights, whatever, just because we're hitting our threshold of love, you know, our threshold of receiving in some way. Um, I uh, had unfortunately, uh, pretty terrible examples of conditional love where, you know, the love I saw as a child was conditional. It was 
completely chaotic, very unsteady. Um, and I operated alone a lot of the time because of my mother's mental illness and my father's distance and uh, my grandparents' attentiveness to me, but they did not have physical love to share. It was like they picked me up from school because my mother couldn't get out of bed. So there was a lot of, um, I just didn't know how to receive anything that he was offering me. And prior to dating my husband, I was like hooking up with people in relationships and fucking being with women who like did not, you know, like that were like the most chaotic, like intense relationships. And, um, you know, uh, and would, would also have these relationships, like deep, 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 uh, relationships with, uh, women and men and, you know, beyond that who were just not available in any way, shape or form. And that kind of chaos was something that I really thrived on. So, I had to unpack all that. And my husband just happened to be the right person for me to do that with. And some people have to do that alone. And that I think that I really, I respect, you know, everything, whatever path is right for you is right for you. Um, And I wouldn't even say it's right. Just some people are meant to do it in tandem with a partner and some people are not. Um, I don't think I ever overcame the fear of receiving love because I have huge fears about receiving love from friends. I have major, uh, sister wound huge. Cause I was brutalized by my mother and some of my aunts and was bullied horrifically by girls and have been betrayed horrifically by female friends. And my relationships with my female friends are very few and far between. And even when I meet up with female friends, I usually have to talk down a part of me that gets triggered, um, traumatically that I'm going to in some way be harmed, hurt, um, whatever by women. And that doesn't happen to me anymore because I surround myself with people who love me, but it, 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 that never, I don't know that it ever went away. It's just that I know that it's not worth leaving over. But it's gotten better over 10 years. It just hasn't gone away. (laughs) Um, It just happened recently when we were, you know, I was going through a huge expansion and my brain like attacked my marriage. I just know not to pay that any fucking heed. Um, Anybody who tells you, I think that like they've overcome the fear of receiving love is fooling themselves. And I don't, I don't mean to... I don't know that that's true, but I kind of do (laughs) because it's something that builds over time. And I think if you're in the relationship that you're meant to be in, that's right for you, that really, you know, whatever, like we're all in the relationship we're in. But if you're in a relationship that really nourishes and is activating that part of you, that's kind of afraid to receive love. I think that, um, one of the most powerful things is to expect yourself to be uncomfortable. And that's the lie that I think we're told that if it's the right thing, we're just like swept away into joy. And I think that that is true and was true of my relationship with my husband and is true. We have the best time together, but I mean, the intimacy, like we're always working on that of just not running away from each other. Um, but the key is we talk about it. So I think that that's the key. So hopefully that helps. Um, Louise asks, hi, Lindsay, thank you for your brilliant recent podcast and intuition. Thank you, Louise. I listened intently because I've recently committed to tuning in more with my intuition. 
good for you. I love to hear it. Well, some things it has led me to have, hmm, I think there might have been, well, okay, this is what Louise asks, but I'm assuming what she means is uh, it's listening to her intuition has led her to have truly amazing and in many ways, happiness, wholeness, fullness of being that they've never known, which is so beautiful. Um, some of it, notably one major life decision, however, has caused me unimaginable heartbreak. It's a decision that has also affected others around me, including my young daughter. And I continue to check in with my intuition to ensure that I've done the right thing. It consists, it constantly assured me that I have, and I'm on the right path, but at the same time, I feel heartbroken, sometimes a longing to take it back in a general sadness. I have a bit of a love hate dilemma on my hands. Any advice around dealing with this kind of duality? I'm dealing with intuition. Thanks for all your wonderful work. I'm an avid listener and you've helped me tremendously in my life. Thank you, Louise. Oh man, Louise, you have just really nailed something that I think not enough people talk about. I think I applaud you. I commend you. I bow to you because what you're talking about is often the experience that comes with honoring intuition. There are fucking hard decisions that come with honoring intuition. Once we're awake to it, we're awake to all the things that we've been asleep to. And we realize that certain jobs, relationships, collaborations are not appropriate for us going forward. And some people who are really not in alignment with living in their intuition can't understand that and can't sympathize. Um, but there's this really kind of like unfortunate rhetoric that like if we're honoring our intuition, like it all feels good. It all feels on track. Uh -uh, no way. <laughs> Certainly not my experience. I've had multiple experiences with what you're describing with just like sobbing, like checking in, being like, are you sure? And then being like, yeah, like honoring intuition is a breaking away from everything that doesn't serve us. And it is so confusing and hard and heartbreaking. Like there kind of is no duality. That's what it is. That sometimes it's the undoing, um, the picking off of the bandages so we can actually tend the wound. It's huge. And it does affect people in our lives. And that's not to say that it shouldn't, you know, it's not to say that your daughter is exactly right where they need to be right by your side with you moving through this experience of, their mom kind of awakening within themselves and understanding that um, honoring and trusting ourselves isn't always easy, but eventually, Louise, you will come to a point once you move through the ocean of regret, of heartbreak, of um, fear, of unimaginable sadness, you will come to the island of trust and knowing where even when you have to make these really hard decisions that we sometimes don't even know the why about, we don't even know why we're being drawn to do that or whatever. Um, you will trust yourself because with time, time really shows us what intuition is made of with time. We will be able to open ourselves up to saying, oh my God, this is so much better, even as uncomfortable as it is, it is so much better than living in out of alignment with what I know to be true. 
And when I did uh, deep dive work with one-on-one people, um, which I did for years and years, um, which is just like intense, focused, intuitive coaching and counseling, um, they almost always, within the first week or two, made a number of decisions independent of their own selves and had enormous contraction and doubt and regret about but not enormous regret, but experiences of feeling like, oh God, I wish I could take it back, like whatever. Um, But just contraction, like knowing they'd done the right thing, but also it not being an easy thing. And I used to talk to them a lot about the fact that like, when we leave the mainland of what we've known for the island of intuitive alignment, like kind of this island of expansion, which is sort of what you're doing, Louise, We're always out in open water where we can't go back and we can't see what's coming. But to really honor that this particular stretch of time is universally hard, it actually does not communicate to me that you've done anything wrong. It communicates to me you've done everything right. And you finally get to kind of feel all these feelings. Um, Honoring intuition does not always mean that everything's like, cool and happy. It often comes with enormous grief. Feeling all that grief and letting it be cleared and stirred up is so beautiful because we finally get to live without that in our bodies. So I'm just wishing you a lot of luck on your journey and just really know you're not alone and that there's nothing wrong with what you're talking about at all. Kyla asks, I recently gave a tarot reading that was particularly hard emotionally. The cards were serving up some really emotional and tricky subjects to deal with that were hitting really close to home for the participant recipient. I found that throughout the reading, I also had to control my own emotions and keep them in check for out of fear for crying and empathy for this person. I was hoping you could maybe share some insight into how to hold space for those moments appropriately. And if there's any way to help the mood or respect the mood that remains once you experience an emotionally charged reading. Um, Kyla, you know, it depends on the person. Um, but those readings do come up from time to time where the person is just breaking our heart. And I think you can let the empathy be present. Um, there have been many times where in readings I've gotten teared, you know, for someone, um, And I've had experiences where I've had to hold back tears too. And I think exactly what you did is right on. I think the point is don't try to not feel anything. The feelings are great. It's okay that they're there. It's okay that you have to be like, whoo, okay, like big time sobs that want to come through for this person, this part, this, this querent, let me just breathe. And, and then I'll allow that to come up as is, um, I used to, when I was a reader, um, have to basically like, um, kind of almost like, I I can't even explain it. Like when I was doing it like full, full time, like, like, you know, 20 a week, um, I would, which I don't advise to anybody, please don't do that to yourselves. (laughs) Um, that was like back in the day, but, um, I used to have to like walk And just like cry, almost like pressing a button because um, I had to let go of all of that. Um, And even when we have 
a querent, a reading that touches us deeply and brings up a lot of empathy and heartbreak for us, it is appropriate after that person has left to like let the tears flow because there's nothing inappropriate about what you're talking about. It is so appropriate. You can let them know, you know, my heart is just breaking for you and I'm really holding you in my heart. Um, and you're doing so beautifully. You're doing so well. Um, I think that that's so appropriate. And, um, I would also say that you don't have to help the mood. You can just let them be fucking wrecked. You can let them be really sad or really, um, you know, you can let them know, you know, I'm here for you. Would you like to, uh, have a follow-up appointment or, connect over email tomorrow, like, please take care of yourself. And you can also allow them if they're really sobbing, you can let them have some space after the reading. And maybe you can get them a glass of water, depending on where you're serving, whatever. Um, really let them know, like these tears are okay. And it's okay to like have these really big feelings. And, um, I think that it's just really about letting the feelings be super messy because that's, kind of what we're doing with these, uh, with this work. Like we're allowing there to be space for these powerful emotions to come up. And that's so beautiful. So I'd say you did a great job with it and just let it be, you know, if you let it be, I think it can be absolutely magical. Um, and it really continues to permission, uh, all of us about, uh, our emotions not being a problem or anything that have to be like contained or taken care of or anything like that. But you, as the holder of the space, it sounded like you held the space beautifully. And I would say part of the uh, continuation of that is to let there be kind of a discharge of it. So taking a walk, kind of letting the tears flow, uh, processing the reading, you know, um, I, some, I don't really talk about this a lot, but it is very appropriate to have a processor, um, who I would say is, should, is, and should be a trusted friend person who, to whom you can communicate about your experience of the reading without giving away any confidential details or any information about the querent. Um, that allows you to process with that person. Um, and I know that there are processors in the doula community. We deserve them in the tarot community. And I would highly encourage everyone listening to this, if you're a tarot reader, to get yourself a processor so that you have someone with whom to process really big experiences. And if you are the processor that's holding the space, you're not giving advice, you're just listening and you're just affirming and you're just honoring. Um, so that we're not kind of doing these discharges alone. So hopefully that helps you. Emily asks, I've been working with the tarot and doing daily card draws for the past year or so. I've recently found myself in a transition and I'm pulling, feeling pulled to go to a tarot reader. I'd love to work with someone via the internet as I live in a rural area and potentially might be moving. And it's my hope to establish a relationship with someone rather than one and done reading. This might be a silly question, but how do I go about finding a tarot reader and someone I vibe with? Is it like finding a therapist? I'll have to go to various readers and find a good fit. I'm weirdly super nervous about this. Any and all suggestions, advice, et cetera, is much appreciated. Emily, I love this question. It can be like finding a therapist, but basically you want to identify for yourself what's important to you. What is important to you? And then you want to ask around. Um, I know you live in a rural area. Um, you can also like Google. You can also, um, 
you know, Google and uh, try to feel into the names you keep seeing and whether or not they resonate with you. Um, Instagram is a wonderful place to start to kind of find uh, good and solid tarot readers. And yeah, I would say like do your research on. So here's an example. If you align with my work, then one thing that you can, well, I won't use myself as an example. Let's see. What's another example? Um, okay. Let's say that you love Biddy Tarot, um, Bridget Esselmond, and you, uh, cannot book a reading with, with Bridget, but what you can do is go onto Bridget's website and look at the list of alums that Bridget has taught and feel into what their style might be. You can also um, check in with like, let's say a maker or a healer or a space that you really love. Like for example, like Other Wild in Los Angeles or General Store in also Los Angeles <laughs> or San Francisco, like I'm just kind of naming random places, but like any store that you may have heard of or any person that you kind of like, who do they like? That might be something to think about too. That's a nice way. It's some sort of like an invisible referral. Um, and I was going to use myself as an example with Biddy Tarot and it, it's kind of the same thing. Like if you enjoy this work, you may enjoy the people who've done bonus content for my course, or you might enjoy some of the people I've taught, you know? Um, so I think there are like touchstones that you can uh, click into when looking for the reader that's right for you. And then, yeah, you give it a shot. And if it doesn't work and you don't, you aren't feeling it, no problem. It's never a waste of time because even if it doesn't work, the investment of the time helped to build the bridge to the next step. So I'd say like do a little digging and compile a little list for yourself, like one store, one Instagram account, a couple of different like random people. Uh, do they like tarot readers? You can even email people and you know, you can email stores and be like, Hey, like, do you ever work with any tarot readers that you really like? And I would also say as last piece of advice, find three adjectives that you're looking for in your ideal tarot reader. Are you looking for someone, um, powerful, intense, and like, um, hilarious? Are you looking for someone warm, funny, and kind? Um, what is the vibe that you're looking for? Um, that those things will help you to find what you're looking for. Um, Shelly asks, I hear you use the word medicine quite frequently. <laughs> Although I have a basic idea of what this means, I would love to hear you, Lindsay, define the word medicine as you understand it and use it in your Terror for the Wild Soul podcast and other talks. I would be delighted, Shelly. So, Medicine is, uh, as I use it, is connected to the idea of being nourished by something, to have something be adjusted, fed, not even adjusted, but fed and nourished by something by virtue of the absorption or connection with it. So when I say tarot is medicine or tarot as medicine, what I'm talking about is that every single one of the tarot cards that are in a deck contain some gift of medicine. They contain something that is an antidote to a poison. They contain something that is nourishing the body, the mind, the heart, the soul that we might have not even known we needed. And for me, it mirrors 
um, and I wasn't taught this, this is just what makes sense to me, um, tarot mirrors nature. So the tarot, the tower, sorry, to me is a forest fire. And what is, you know, forest fires are so devastating and ultimately create the space for new growth. And that really is kind of tower. And when we connect with the medicine of a forest fire, we're connecting with not only the devastation and the sorrow and the grief of it, of the land and of the trees and of the animals, but we're also connecting with the larger picture of growth that can come from the clearing of that ground. Um, when I consider the medicine of the fool, I'm looking at the medicine of a seed, like all that's possible, you know, and um, that's really kind of like the only way that I can look at it. Um, and when we look at plants, you know, this is a big part of what I talk about and have written about in my workbooks. Like there, there's different medicines for every plant. Like Datura is different from wild rose, is different from nettle, is different from chickweed. Like they all do different things. They all connect in different ways. Um, a forest fire is very different than a mudslide. Rain is very different than a full moon. And really when we're connecting with the medicine that is in all we start to look at life as medicine. And when we connect with tarot as medicine, we're really connecting with this like holistic, powerful sense of everything bringing some kind of form of nourishment. So hopefully that helps. Um, Anonymous asks, I'm a queer cis woman married to a queer cis woman, and we're trying to have a baby with me um, as the gestational parent. Congratulations. I found tarot to be a helpful support during this process and always think before I pull the cards... I always think before I pull, the cards can't tell me anything that isn't already true in some way to help prep for any cards that seem challenging and embrace the medicine of all cards. I love that. After two years of trying and six months of IVF, I got pregnant, but the pregnancy ended in a miscarriage after about two months. I'm so sorry. I haven't touched the cards since because I feel like I'm in such a will it work or won't situation. I don't think of my tarot practice as future looking or fortune telling. For me, it's about what's in this moment and I don't know and how to see it and work with it more clearly and openly but I have such a big yes or no question in front of my mind. I don't know how to engage with the cards. Oh, anonymous. I'm so sorry. My heart is like exploding and breaking for you. I, I love you and your partner and I'm sending you all the love. And I also like want to like explode. I understand what you're talking about from my own life so profoundly and have had experiences where I've had to do all kinds of adjusting and stepping even away from my tarot deck because I just can't, I don't, I have such a strong attachment to needing to know. Um, and that is so painful because it can feel like the deck like abandons us in these moments. At least it did for me. I don't know if that's your experience of it. Um, because when I come to the deck with an invitation like that, with energy like that, I never get an answer. <laughs> and then it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy that we're in the shitty situation. And we also feel like we don't have the medicine of our deck present. So what I would say to you is like, you are so heard and valued and acknowledged by me, by everyone listening. And I feel like everybody loves you. And I'm really sending blessings to your body at this time and to your family. Um, the, the kind of like second thing that I would say is to be extremely gentle with yourself. It is okay to feel the feelings of like 
to have the feelings come up of wanting to know and also having the humanness to be able to say, I kind of don't know how to leapfrog over that. I don't know how to not come in hot with my deck about like wanting to know, will it work? Will it not? Um, there are times in life and I really want to be very explicit. I'm not telling you not to pull cards right now because I think you will know that. Um, but there are times when there are caves in life where the deck doesn't walk with us for one reason or another. There are moments in which we're, we're asked to kind of stand in the unknown and just be there. And there are times when we can turn to the deck again and again and again and kind of just get nothing nonsense answers because it's not, there is no answer. It's just the reality of us being in a situation that um, is uh, shitty and that we don't have answers for. And it's really hard to be in that and be present. Um, so you may want to consider giving yourself the gift of like a tiny bit of space with your deck. Um, that I went through two physical experiences, um, last year that were unbelievably extreme. And, uh, it, it was the first time both of them that I stepped away from my deck um, had to for, I like couldn't even look at it. Um, because it, the feeling was that it was betraying me. Um, and also, you know, I think it's pretty clear that I also operate from a place of tarot for the present moment, but I had such terror about what was going to happen and what I could understand about whatever the situation was that I really was coming at my deck with very similar energy to you and was not really pulling much. Um, and I had to kind of like give myself a little space and I was able to come back to it. The other thing is you can adjust your questions. So how can I be present in this moment today is a good question. How can I be with whatever arises? is another question. What am I being invited to pay attention to in this moment is another question. Um, um, what is the invitation of the present? Like being very explicit about the framing of your questions is very helpful. And I would also say a wonderful practice. Um, I like to talk about my desires and expectations sometimes before I pull when my expectations are very high. So in other words, if I have a very, very hot yes or no answer or question in my body and I keep coming to my deck with that, um, I will often communicate about that. So I will talk about that, express it, communicate it with myself and really be like, who man, like this is here right now, it's present. Um, and then I drop into my question. So I kind of name it, report it, and then drop into my question. And it really allows for there to be a greater juxtaposition. I think um, it allows kind of that desire to get named and for me to be sort of open to something bigger. I hope that helps you. Um, 
And uh, I'm wishing you all the luck in the world. Just, you know, it's one of those times in the relationship with our decks that like these things happen and it really is okay. And just be very gentle with yourself through it. Um, and finally, Laura asks, I just discovered the benefits of tarot and began learning about it recently as a 34-year-old. I'm called to give my 10-year-old sister a tarot deck to begin learning and wanted to seek your advice on this. Is she too young? How should I go about explaining the more scary cards? Are there good tarot resources out there for kids? What would be a good first deck for a 10-year-old? My sister is compassionate, intuitive, open-minded, sensitive, and wise at her young age. I would not consider most 10-year-olds to be necessarily ready to understand tarot, but this kid blows me away and I feel like she's ready to benefit from this excellent tool. Laura, I'm going to do some more research on this, but mainly I don't think she's too young. And I think your instinct is right. And I think 10 years old, I got my first deck at 12. So I feel like I'm all about that. I don't know of a good resource though. Um, I, uh, other people may know of good resources. My work is very focused on no scary cards. Um, so if you wanted to engage in the course that I'm teaching, that might be a good thing, but I will do some research and ask around and we'll also, uh, like kind of port this out to the community listening. Like what are some good decks for 10 year olds? Um, my immediate instinct, Laura, is to ask your sister to pick out her own is to like, take her to a store and be like, which one do you like? And then look at them together and you can learn about them together and you can talk to your sister. And you know, when, if she picks the rider weight with a lot of passion, that's a wonderful opportunity to be able to be like, oh yeah, like all the swords within the heart. This is actually like when we feel sad and scared and like when maybe kids are like, we get into a fight with our friend, it's a chance for us to like really take care of the heart it has nothing to do with stabbing the heart and she'll totally get it. So if you're there for her, even if you don't have a quote unquote good deck for a 10 year old, kids fucking know they understand. So I think like, let yourself be the guide for your sister. And, um, I would say like, go to a store together. What a beautiful opportunity that would be to just say, you know, Hey, if you're drawn to any of these, it's such a beautiful tool. I'd love to get you one. Um, and if you feel really called to get your sister one and kind of offer her one, um, I would say like, hold out for, um, some potential answers that might come because I don't know off the top of my head, like what decks quote would be good because your sister really like, um, even if we're talking about like a kid's deck, your sister really could be like very drawn to a specific deck, like wild unknown or something. Um, and for some reason, like I will admit that is the deck that keeps coming into the forefront of my mind. So while I wouldn't normally, um, necessarily be like the wild unknown is great for kids. Um, and I would also say like, I love and respect Kim Kranz, but some of Kim Kranz's descriptions in the guidebooks are a little intense. So that might also be something that you may want to uh, just keep having conversations with your sister around because um, some people like they're intense. So it's not bad. It's not good. It's just if you want to kind of supplement um, your sister's education about scary cards, that might be a great way to do it. Or it might be that you buy the deck without the guidebook. Um, you know, it really depends. Um, but 
Wild Unknown's great because it's got animals and imagery that's really gorgeous and easy to understand. And uh, if you feel attracted to it, you think your sister might like it. I think that might be a good thing to do. Um, my friend Jeff Hinshaw uh, has mentioned before, actually realizing and remembering that um, he feels that uh, Wild Unknown is a wonderful deck for kids. So maybe that would help. Um, I love you. What an awesome big sister you are. Um, and that's it for Ask Lindsay. Thank you so much for listening. Send me your questions for next month's Ask Lindsay and take care until we connect again. Bye-bye.